very good to be back preaching today because of some minor health issues and holidays and, and, and the like. It's been a few weeks since I've been up here preaching, so I want to thank everybody who has um, very well filled the pulpit and proclaimed God's Word to us over the last few weeks, and um, I'm excited today as we begin a new series in um, the Gospel of John. I read an online critique this week that said every time a church starts a new series, it's going to be the best thing ever, and it's going to be exciting, and everybody's life's going to be changed, and so I'm trying to stay out of all that hyperbolic language and just say, look, we're going to study John. God reveals himself through his word. The Spirit will help us, and I think if we'll dive in with, with willing, open, receptive hearts, God will do great things, and that's what I'm eager for. So if you haven't already, take your Bible and turn over to the book of John in chapter 20. Book of John, chapter 20. I have a concern that brings us to John's gospel today. Anybody here like to get on social media? Twitter, Facebook? Do you know what you see on social media? Angry people saying angry things with lots of conviction. Anybody here like to watch talk news? Talk news? I, I don't. I'm going to put my hand down. But, but anybody like to watch like, like, like talk shows about news? Do you know what you see on talk shows about news? Angry people with lots of b- firm belief just spouting off, right? Would you dare go to lunch today and talk about politics? Probably not because you'd get a lot of firm opinions. And Anyway, here's what I'm realizing about America. Our country... Christian and non-Christian, is filled with people that have strong opinions. Right? And the more I look at our strong opinions, I can't help but believe that our strong opinions are rooted in what makes us comfortable and what preserves our way of life. I feel like most of our strong opinions are rooted in what makes us comfortable and what is convenient. It preserves what we enjoy about our lives. And when I read through the the Bible, I don't see people that are motivated by comfort or convenience, but I see people that are motivated by conviction in God and God's word and God's work. And so as I've laid in bed looking at social media and watching TV while recovering from a minor surgery, what I realized is, Lord, I don't want to be one of those people that holds the convictions that I hold, excuse me, the beliefs that I hold because they're convenient, but I want to hold them because they're what God has revealed. I don't want to hold the beliefs that I hold because they make me comfortable but I want to hold them because they're consistent with what God has revealed. I want to be a person who is convictional, a person who's motivated by who God is and what God has done and what God has revealed. And as I've prayed for our church and as I've prayed for you, I've said, Lord, would you make Redeemer Church to be a people of conviction, a people who are motivated out of what is true and what is right and what is good and what is in the scripture and not merely motivated out of what is convenient and what is easy and what is comfortable. And 
And the best way that I know to build a convictional mindset that leads to a convictional life is to spend a lot of time looking at who God is, what God has done for us, and what God has said in his word. And so we're diving into the Gospel of John this year with one goal. That we would see Jesus, the Son of God, in such a way that we would be filled with conviction that shapes our lives. So I want you to see Jesus. I want you to see who he is, what he's done, what he's calling you to. And I want you to be willing to say, if it is true and from God, I want this. And I will pursue this. And I will believe this. And I will shape my life around this. So will you join me in seeking to be a group of people who are shaped by conviction. Conviction rooted in what God has revealed in his word. Conviction that will carry us forward through life. So we're starting a new series here at Redeemer going through the Gospel of John. As we do in in most of our series, we will work from chapter 1 through the end. And so you may say, well, then why are we in chapter 20 today? Seems like a fair and appropriate question. And and the reason we're in chapter 20 today is because um, John didn't, excuse me for a second. New Year's resolution, thou shalt not loan out microphone to anyone else. Because they mess with microphone. And that's about my comfort and my convenience. It has nothing to do with conviction. All right. Because John is not like every other gospel writer. And at the beginning of his gospel, it didn't seem fit for him to say, the gospel according to John, written by John to tell you about Jesus. He buried it in chapter 20. And he never tells you his name. He uses this kind of weird pseudonym thing, the disciple Jesus loved, which is the most humble thing in the world to call yourself, right? Like, hey, I know y'all are disciples, but I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. Seems like it would have just been a lot more humble to say, hey, John wrote this. But anyway, with all of that, we believe in something called authorial intent, which simply means this. What the author meant to say is what the book says, okay? So if I wrote you an email and I said, I am writing this email to tell you that you've won a million dollars, then what's the purpose of the email? To tell you that you won a million dollars. Why? How do you know that? Because I wrote the email and I'm telling you that was the purpose of the email. So some authors, you know, those poets that, that, that wax poetical and make it hard to understand what they're saying, they bury their intent, right? John... Now, it's going to be very clear. My book has a purpose, and I'm going to tell you the purpose of my book so that you will read my book in light of my purpose. And so our purpose over the majority of this year as we study the Gospel of John is to to let John's purpose become real in us as we read his 
work. So, Dustin just read it for us. But let's, let's put together a couple passages that, that make the point of John so clear. Chapter 20, verse 30. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. This is very near this book after he's told us about Jesus' life, his signs, his ministry, his miracles, his work, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. At the end of chapter 21, John actually says that if we wanted to write out, this is chapter 21, verse 25, if we wanted to write out everything that Jesus did, we could fill up all the books We could fill up enough books that the world could not contain it. It's a pretty bold claim. So Jesus did many things, but many of them are not written in this book. Verse 31, but these are written. So John is admitting that he has selectively chosen some of the works of Jesus, the words of Jesus, activities in the life of Jesus for a purpose. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. So the point of our sermon this morning, the point of the book of John, and the point of our sermon series through the book of John is this. Jesus is the Son of God who came to bring the salvation of God to the people of God. And how we respond to Jesus, life and death hangs in the balance. Not eternal life and eternal death hangs in the balance. So Jesus is the Son of God who came to bring the salvation of God to the people of God. And eternal life hangs in the balance based upon how we respond to Jesus. So if that is true, it seems that seeing Jesus clearly, not as we want to see him, but as he is, is important for us. It seems that that hearing Jesus' words clearly, not how we want to hear them, but how he spoke them is important for us. And it seems that believing who Christ is and believing what Christ did for us and believing what Christ said and convictionally building our faith and our hope and our life upon Jesus and his word and his life and his salvation and his teaching is of vital importance for us. This is what we want to do. And so I want to kind of work through that a little bit, and I have three points to help us do it. So the first point for my note-taking friends is we want to see Jesus because this is, first, a book about Jesus. We want to see Jesus because John's gospel is a book about Jesus. He says that Jesus did many other things, But we're writing the things that Jesus did so that we will believe certain things about Jesus, that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in Jesus, we may have life in his name. So John has written a book 
about Jesus with the purpose of causing people to believe in Jesus for everlasting life and for reconciliation with God the Father and for salvation and for all things. So this book has been written with a purpose that those who hear it would believe. Now, believe is a big theme running through this book about Jesus. To believe means to accept as true. But not just to accept the facts like 2 plus 2 equals 4, but to believe as true in such a way that that I will trust this Jesus, His work, His words with the whole of my being. I will take all of who I am, my mind, my heart, my will, my body, and I will devote it to the way of Christ, trusting that Christ saves his people. And if Christ is for me, nothing can be against me. And that if I'm in Christ, all things have been made new. So to believe is more than to accept facts as true, but through the facts to meet a person and to trust the person so much that you will connect yourself to and identify with and follow that person with all of who you are. The purpose of this book is a belief in Jesus that changes who we are. So John is unapologetic. He wants you to read this book and believe in Christ. I want you to read this book and believe in Christ. So if John has written to show us Christ, then it seems that seeing Christ, believing in Christ, is what we need more than anything else. So perhaps you're here today because your parents made you come here. Perhaps you're here today because you promised a friend you'd be here. Perhaps you're here today and and having heard us sing and pray and read the Bible, you think we are a bunch of lunatics. Perhaps you're here today and you're just like, man, this whole God, Jesus, faith, salvation, Christianity, it's not for me. First of all, I'm so glad you're here. And second, can I plead with you? Can I plead with you? Will you give yourself to the book of John over the next few months and do it with integrity, meaning this. Do it believing that you're willing to have your mind changed, your thoughts changed, your your opinions changed, your life changed, and your heart transformed. Would you come to this gospel believing and being willing to be changed like that? Because I believe that the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, will do mighty things in you. I don't believe that I can change your mind. 
I don't believe that anyone in this room can change your mind, but I believe that God changes hearts and minds and wills and does radical things. And he does it through his son. He does it by his spirit. He does it through his word. So if you're here kind of exploring, seeking, questioning, I just want to invite you to pour your life into the gospel of John. As I said earlier, if you don't own a Bible, there are some in the chair back underneath you. Take it with you. Turn to John. Dive into it. Just read. And then if come here weekly, and we'll navigate this book together. Christians, brothers and sisters, faithful friends, those who know Christ, who love Christ, who love his word, Man, this book is for us too. Seeing Jesus in all of his glory, hearing his word, seeing his miracles so that we're brought to more convinced faith and more total trust and more total dependence upon Christ is what we need. And if we're honest, I don't think that most of us believe that. We need a raise. We need a better job. We need our kids to be a little bit more obedient and sleep a little bit later. I'm for all those things, by the way. We need that difficult person in our life to be a little less difficult. We need to drop 20 pounds. We need to save a little more money. We need to get rid of cable. Need to quit eating so much refined white sugar. Drink more apple cider vinegar. Man, all those things might be fine and good, but none of those things are going to change who you are and transform you into a more joyful, obedient follower of Jesus. None of it. Seeing Christ in his word, believing in him, devoting yourself to him, falling more at his feet, saying, I am yours, save me. I am yours, change me. I am yours, transform me. That is where we find hope, power, transformation, energy, strength, and endurance for this life. We need Jesus. And so we go back to the gospels. So when John says his purpose is to convince you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and have life in his name, that does not just mean saving faith for the first time. It does mean that. But it also means so that you will see that Jesus is your everything, moment by moment, day by day, instance by instance, thought by thought. I need to see Christ because Christ changes me. I need to know and believe the word of Christ and build my life upon the word of Christ and be a convictional Christ follower. I need to see Jesus. I need to see Jesus. So put up, we'll play Mad Libs here for a minute, okay? Put up your biggest area of brokenness. Write it down, see it, make a New Year's resolution about it. Jesus is the hope for your areas of brokenness. 
Put up your most besetting sin. Not your friends, not your roommates, not your kids, not your spouses. Yours. Areas of besetting sin. Jesus is the hope for your transformation. Put up the places where you have unbelief, where you have legitimate doubt, where you wish you had a little more conviction and a little more clarity from Scripture. Seeing Jesus is the answer for you. Put up your absence of joy and see, seeing Jesus is the source of joy. These are bold claims, but I think that Christ revealed in God's word in the gospel of John can meet us in all of these things. So will you believe that what you need more than anything is to see Christ and be changed by him. So this is a book about Jesus. Second, and much more quickly, this is a book about the person of Jesus. So second point, this is a book about the person of Jesus. That's a creative way to say this. This book answers the question, who is Jesus? And John gives us the answer in just a few words. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The Christ means the Messiah. Old Testament language, the Messiah. It means the chosen instrument to bring God's kingdom and God's salvation to God's people. Most literally, it means anointed. And the anointed one was the one who would lead and teach and save God's people and would come from the line of David and would make all things new and would keep all of God's promises and would bring God's blessings to God's world. The world will return to what God desired the world to be through the Messiah through the chosen one, through the anointed one. And John says, Jesus is that Messiah. Every promise, yes and amen in him. Every hope fulfilled in him. The work of God comes to the world of God through the Son of God, the Messiah of God, and his name is Jesus. Therefore, we're going to see Chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, Jesus changing water into wine. Chapter 4, verse 46, Jesus healing an official son. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, Jesus healing the invalid. Chapter 6, verses 5 through 13, Jesus feeding the multitude. Chapter 6, verses 16 through 21, Jesus walking on water. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, Jesus healing a man born blind. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 44, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And then in verses, chapters 12 and following, Jesus rising from the dead himself. Jesus is God's Messiah. He is the bringer of God's blessings, God's salvation, God's promises to the world. We need Jesus.
John says, I want you to see that Jesus indeed is the Christ and he's the son of God. He's the son of God. What does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus indeed did come from the Father. We know the Christmas story well. Jesus was born of a virgin woman and was conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit. But more than that, this phrase, Son of God, means that Jesus is the unique agent of God's will in God's world. More than that, we're going to see in John chapter 1 that Jesus is God himself dwelling among us. Jesus is no mere man, but he is the God-man. The Son of God come to bring God's salvation to God's people at great cost to God. John says, I want you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Or the Son of God. Now I said earlier that belief is more than a cognitive acceptance of fact, but belief certainly begins with a cognitive acceptance of fact. Who do you say Jesus is? I would invite and challenge you to let the Gospel of John shape and transform and and form and change how you answer that question. Who is Jesus? John tells us that he has written every word to show us that he's the Christ and the Son of God. Who do you say Jesus is? Third, final point. This is a book about the salvation Jesus brings. What's Jesus doing? What does Jesus give? What's the result of belonging to Christ? John says that by believing in Christ, in Jesus as the Christ, as the Son of God, you have life in His name. So what John is claiming is that spiritual life, everlasting life, eternal life, comes not through oxygen and food, not through human birth, but it comes through belonging to Jesus. The way to have life is in and through Jesus Christ and Him alone. And so this is a gospel statement. This is a statement about the exclusive nature of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Do you want to know God? You know Him through Jesus. Do you want to have a life that will last beyond this world? It comes through Jesus. Do you want to have the the blessing of God in your life now and forevermore? It comes through through Jesus. And the opposite of life is death. And so death is implied here. Without Christ, there is no life. Without Christ, there is no everlasting hope. Without Christ, there is no everlasting life. So we're going to study the gospel of John so that you can be brought to see the glories and the truth and the works and the wonders and the words of Jesus in such a way that you'd be led to believe that he is the Christ, 
the Son of God, and that you would have life in his name. So what am I praying for us? That we would be more rooted in who Christ is so that we would more fully and more tangibly experience life in his name. I'm praying that many of us would meet Christ for the first time and find life for the first time in his name. I'm praying that you would get so captivated with who Jesus is that you can't stop talking about it, that you can't stop inviting others to meet Christ in the Gospel of John with you. So I want to wrap this sermon up with a couple application questions. Question number one, how am I relating to Jesus? How am I relating to Jesus? Do I believe? Do I trust Am I willing to let whatever is true of Jesus change and transform and shape the way I think, the way I live, the way I carry out my life? How am I relating to Jesus? Second question. In what ways am I looking to Jesus in my life? In what ways am I looking to Jesus in my life? And you know, friends, at some point we come to this place where we just don't outgrow what we learned in Sunday school and we just need to be okay with that. So here's the thing. If we're not opening the scriptures, reading them earnestly, and seeking to meet God in his word, then we're not looking to God in our lives. Look, I believe that God hears our prayers. I believe that God answers our prayers. I believe that God gives us wisdom, direction. I believe that he guides us. I believe that he answers questions that we put before him. But I also believe that the the clearest and most frequent and most trustworthy way that God speaks to his people is through his word and his son who is revealed in his word. It's much more objective and far less subjective than we would ever like to admit. If we want to know God, if we want to know God's word, if we want to know God's desires, if we want to know God's will, if we want to know what God wants for us, the first thing we need to do is take up his word and read. Let's go to John together. And then we invite God into our lives to speak to us and to guide us and to give us wisdom as we pray. We seek God to intervene in our lives as we pray. So I am so eager for all of us to be a people whose lives are more shaped by the word and more devoted to speaking and praying to the Lord, asking him to teach us, to guide us, to shape us, to change us, and to work in our lives, in our church, and in his world. I hope that John causes us all to say, I need the word of God, and I am praying more than I've ever prayed because as God speaks, I want to engage with him. Third, will you commit to read John with us? Will you commit to read John with us? Look, here's something you need to know about Redeemer, and maybe if you're visiting, this would be an important statement here. We don't do sermon series because I have a lot to offer you. Frankly, I don't have anything to offer you. Not really. Except hopefully I can show you God in God's 
word. So the best way for you not to take me at my word is to take God at his word and go deeply into the scripture. So will you read John with us? I am going to do my best to take bigger sections where we're moving at a quicker pace and where you have a lot to digest. So for next week, for example, we will study John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And here's what I'm asking you to do. At several points this week, not just one, but at several points this week, would you open your Bible to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18? Would you pray and say, Father in heaven, by your spirit, would you reveal yourself and your truth to me in this passage? And would you read through it? As you read through it, would you note the things that you find helpful, encouraging, worthy of note? Would you mark your questions and would you note the things that you want to take away from that passage? And then, after you've noted your insights and your questions and your takeaways, would you read through the passage again? And then after you've read through the passage again, turn your insights and your questions and your takeaways into prayer. Talk to the Lord about them. Ask him to be your teacher. Ask him to be your guide. Ask him to help you understand. And I believe that if you do this on day one, and then you do it, say, on day three, and then you do it, say, on day five, that every time God will become clearer to you, and then we'll come, and when we open John together, we'll see Jesus. Not because I saw Jesus, but because you saw Jesus in the word of God. This is what we're eager for. If you have another method of Bible study that works for you, go with it. But there you go. Final application. Will you invite someone to read John with you? Will you invite someone to read John with you? Perhaps it's your spouse, your roommates, your kids, a friend, a coworker but would you invite someone to read this book with you? For the purpose of discipleship? Yeah. For the purpose of evangelism? Yeah. For the purpose of your own spiritual growth? Yeah. See, I don't believe we have to choose because I believe the word of God is able to do all those things at one time. So I'm asking you to to, to honestly ask yourself this question. How am I relating to Jesus? How am I tangibly looking to Jesus in my life? I'm asking you to read John with us, and I'm asking you to invite someone to read John with you and with us. Because I believe that as we dive into John, we'll be led to see and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, we'll have life in his name. 